as you know, we've been in a series about stewardship and uh, discussing many aspects of stewardship. Uh, but today we're going to talk about rest. Um, rest being a stewardship, uh, a responsibility that we are called to steward. But before we talk about you know, how to schedule your life and keep it in order so that you can have good rest, before we get into those things, it's important that we talk about um, why rest exists, what does it symbolize, why has God given us rest, um, and what are we to do with it, how are we to understand it. Uh, rest is not just a practical thing, but there's a whole theology behind it. And if you remember the beginning of creation, rest was a theme uh, in, the, in the creation week. It was, it's, it's marked as a separate day even. Um, and so it's important. It's not something that we should overlook. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Hebrews 4. And we'll be, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 10. Hebrews 4, 1 through 10. And this is God's word. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we have said, excuse me, for we who have believed entered that rest. He said, I, as I swore in my wrath, they should not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he says, they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter into it, and those who formerly received the good news fail to enter because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Amen. So, I'll start this way. Uh, this morning alone, I've received about 103 alerts on my phone. And that's just this morning. And I'm talking about text messages, emails, social media, all just trying to, all seeking my attention, right? And most of you have probably received double that. <laughs> I love technology. I'm in that world. And that's the world that I live in. But I say this as a small illustration of the hyper-distractedness of our modern living today. And aside from, aside from, aside from alerts, uh, we're blessed to have some of these things you know, help us to progress in, in the way that we live, right? Technology can be helpful in many ways. Um, we have information right at our fingertips. Um, for example, I can see the weather immediately. I can wake up and just look at the weather. I don't have to step outside and test uh, the winds. Um, I can order food. I can order groceries. I can order books from Amazon. I can even order furniture. Uh, I can order clothes. 
and I can have it delivered at my door all from my phone. In fact, when I'm sick, I video chat my doctor. I do this all the time. I video chat my doctor and they check me through the camera. They'll tell me, okay, open your mouth and pull out your tongue and I'll do it and they'll check my throat. They send my prescription to the pharmacy and I don't have to get out of my bed. <laughs> that sounds, sounds crazy. This means that technically I carry a bookstore, a grocery store, uh, I carry a furniture store, a clothing store, I carry a bank, a health consultant, a, a weather meteorologist, all in my pocket. And it's, interesting, it's an interesting time to be alive and I'm grateful for those things, but there's a dark side to that technology. This also means that the problems of this world are also just as easily accessible. Uh, we're much more exposed to the problems around the globe. We receive immediate alerts about scandals, injustices, political concerns, violence even. And although it is good to be informed, for many of us, this is a heavy burden to carry. Mentally, emotionally, and ironically, even with the wonderful technology, you would think that rest is easier to attain. Yet we see that that's not the case. It's also important to note that we live in a post-industrial revolution world, right? Post-industrial economy, which by definition means the economy must never rest. There must, their work must always be happening, right? So rest would deprive this kind of economy and rest would deprive production. So even when you work hard, the competitive nature of our society will always make you feel that you haven't worked hard enough. And chances are, if it were legal, you would probably work all seven days uh, of the week with no break, and that would be the social, no that, the social norm. That work would be your identity. That would be all that life is about. And when we think about the topic of rest, rest often feels unrealistic, especially if you have uh, small children, if you're raising a big family, rest feels like you're never going to attain it. Uh, Helen Peterson in her recent book, Can't Even, she talks about the state of burnout. Listen to this. She says that for millennials, being burnt out isn't a thing that happens to them. When we think about being burned out, they say, man, I, I, you know, I'm feeling, I'm experiencing burnout. This is happening to me. Well, she says, that for millennials, being burnt out isn't a thing that happens to them. Rather, it's a place where they permanently reside in. That's just their life. They live in a state of burnt outness. Uh, she says, I've internalized the idea that I should be working all the time. Why is that? That's just how she lives and how she thinks. Rest, therefore, only becomes an obstacle to progress and to productivity. You look at your to-do list and you say, if I rest right now, I'm never going to accomplish these goals or I'm never going to get my to-do list down to zero. Think about this, even when we think about vacationing, rest often escapes us, even in vacations, right? We pack it with things, we pack it with haste, we pack it with speed and we go and we vacation and it's filled with noise and partying and all that stuff. Um, have you ever returned from a vacation and said to yourself, I, I need a vacation from my vacation? Uh, vacationing often isn't a restful, as restful as it looks in Instagram. So when you see your friends go on vacation and they're posting pictures of them jumping uh, and they're mid-sky, you know, in the air, uh, in the beach, it looks like they're having a good time. But then she fell and she hurt her ankle and 
So, all that to say is the pictures uh, in the gram is not always uh, a good depiction of what actually is happening in that vacation. Um, it's not as restful as it looks in those pictures. Our, our contemporary society faces many temptations related to vacationing. Vacationing can quickly become another way of branding ourselves to the public eye, forcing experiences for the Instagram, for the media, rather than embracing those experiences without your camera on and just actually allowing yourself to experience that vacation without feeling like you have to record it or take a bunch of pictures. I'm not saying don't do that, but at least notice uh, the difference there, right? We're all guilty of that in some way, I admit. But with all that said, um, it's interesting to note that we aren't the only generation that experiences this this level of restlessness, okay? Uh, And and even though we're a highly distracted society, generations in the past have have also felt the weight of not being able to rest in the way that they feel they ought to. Restlessness is actually a human problem, or or to be more specific, it's a human problem due to the fall. So it's not not only all the things that I just said, but but there's something about fallen humanity that always feels that they can't attain true, satisfying rest, at least the rest that they really need. And this leaves us with a serious theological question. What then is true rest and how can we attain it? We read uh, Hebrews 4, verses 1 to 10, and I think it answers this. The text is not all about the rest that I'm talking about, but it does give us um, the framework on how we ought to think about rest theologically. I want to pull out three points from that text. The first point is the concept of rest, and you'll see that in the first five verses. Verses 1 through 5. The second is the call to rest, which is verses 6 through 7. And then the last point is the custom of rest, which is uh, spoken of in in verses 8 through 10. So again, it's the concept of rest, the call to rest, and the custom of rest. Let's talk about the concept of rest. So beginning with verses 1 through 5, we see that a promise of rest still stands. And so the writer of Hebrew here is speaking about rest not as simply as taking a break or going on a vacation, but rest as a state of being. Okay? In other words, he's describing rest as experiencing heaven. Okay? Notice that he uses the phrase entering his rest. Okay? Simply means to enter into a state of finalized settlement with your soul. And this is God's salvific rest for his people. Now, if you're a Christian, you know firsthand that the Christian life is a long and hard pilgrimage toward that final state of heavenly rest. You long for the day when you would arrive at a place where you are no longer dealing with indwelling temptation or the internal struggles of sin. Uh, Paul says in Romans 7, He says, I see my members, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You see him expressing this restlessness that still lies within his members. This state of rest has to do with entering 
and tasting the fullness of salvation. That's where true rest lies. That's heaven. That's heavenly rest. And the writer, and the writer also goes on to warn the church to be sure that they do not fail to attain this heavenly rest. Now he's, he's speaking to the church here. Um, a lot of people look at this Hebrews passage and says, oh, oh, this is talking to unbelievers to come and enter into rest, into Jesus, come to Jesus. And in a sense, that's true. But this letter is to the church. Why is Paul, who, who I think is the writer of Hebrews, by the way, why is he uh, calling members of the body of Christ to enter into this rest? Well, it's because he's talking about that final state, that final he- heavenly rest. It's a warning to the church to make sure that they have true saving faith in Christ. And he even goes on uh, in verse 2 um, to say that this message of heavenly rest has been preached since the beginning. This has been the call since the beginning, the, the, set, this, the centerpiece of the gospel, that God is trying to bring humanity back to that permanent state of rest. And, and at the time, many thought that they were children of God merely because they were part of the religion of Israel, but they lacked true saving faith. Listen to verses 2 to 3 of, of uh, Hebrews 4. It says, For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. So we know that Israel had the law, they had the prophets, they had the oracles. They had a covenant relationship with God. Yet with all that, they lacked true saving faith in the gospel in which those things pointed to. The author of Hebrews, go, the author of Hebrews goes on to explain uh, this concept of heavenly rest in verses 4 to 5. And you'll notice that he alludes to Genesis 2-2, where God, after creating the world in six days, he rested on the seventh day. What does that mean that God rested on the seventh day during the creation? We know that God does not need rest, right? So why did he rest on the seventh day? Well, the concept of rest spoken of in Genesis does not imply that God got tired and needed to take a break. The word used here from the Septuagint is the word katapao, where we get our word pause from. And this word can mean anything from ceasing to be still or even to lead a quiet home or abode. And from the Masoretic text, it's the Hebrew word sabbath, where we get our word sabbath from. In other words, on the seventh day, God ceased work. He had completed creation at that point. That's where rest came in. And since he created man after his own image, he sanctified the seventh day so that man would also cease from his labor. Now remember that Adam and Eve were created to work, to cultivate the world and subdue it unto God. And by God designing a Sabbath day, he was not only giving them a day of rest, but a symbol that one day he would lead them to a final glorified state of heavenly rest. Okay, it was a pattern. He said, six days you'll work, on the seventh you'll rest. This was a pattern of, of what history would look like for the people of God. That they would work, but there, there would be a final state at that final state, it would be that entering into that heavenly rest. That was a pattern that God created. A state of rest that would no longer require 
cultivating the earth. It's also a state of completion, right? It's uh, a symbol of that as well, that work is happening for six days and then the work is completed and therefore they, they're able to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Now, if you think about it, for Israel, if the Sabbath day, the seventh day, represented a, a state of rest, a state of completion, that their works were able to bring them to a, a finalized state of rest where they can enjoy the fruit of their labor, why is it that the following week they had to do it again and again and again and again? Well, that, that was, a, a, was a reminder that every week the work still didn't complete the job. It didn't bring them or the world or the, the place that they were trying to cultivate and, and keep in order and present to God uh, it was a symbol saying that the work hasn't been quite done. Um, and, you, and you see that sort of pattern happening with Israel, uh, even in their own history, that they would serve the Lord and serve the Lord, but there would be one point where they would fail to enter into that permanent state of peace in their land or rest in their land. And it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a harsh reminder to humanity that... Um, we long for that rest. We long for the works that we've done, the labor that we've been put to do to finally end and we can enjoy uh, peace in a, in, a, in a broad way, in a permanent way. And we still haven't been able to attain it. And so this Sabbath day, this uh, reminder of a needing to cease and to rest is a reminder that we are longing for that, uh, that permanent version of that and we still haven't been able to attain it. Even today, the church, when we set aside the Sunday, it's, it's a time of worship, but it's also a reminder that there will be one day where we will, um, where God will renew the world and things will be restored fully. And, and we would enter into that state of glory where there would no longer be a need to labor or to um, walk through and live through the pilgrimage that we've been assigned to, to live through but that we will enter that rest in a permanent sense and be able to fellowship with God in a way that's unhindered. So again, a, a state of rest is what, what that seventh day symbolized, uh, that, that time period where they would no longer require cultivating the earth. But a state of glory and beauty to be enjoyed in the presence of God, that's, that's the permanent version of that. But something happened, right, when this this uh, pattern was established. Something happened uh, in the next chapter, Genesis 3. Adam and Eve fell into sin. And sin entered the world, and the ground was cursed because of them. And ever since, living in this world has been a perpetual burden of labor. Pain for the man as he works. Pain for the woman as she gives birth. Pain and sorrow because of sin and sin and the sin of others. And we've all, ex we've all experienced the consequences of the fall in some way or another when it comes to laboring in this world. And as a result, rest has been unattainable. And in summary, the concept of rest described in Hebrews is a heavenly rest that God, since the beginning, has offered to man, yet man has rejected it due to their preference to continue living in their own ways. And our own way is never the right way. Ever since the fall, man has a natural inclination towards sin. And since God is the source of true rest, it doesn't go well for you when you go the opposite way. 
You begin to fill your life with all kinds of things. Material possessions, busy schedules, goals and plans and aspirations and ideals. And even if you did live a restful and organized and structured life, because of the fall, there are other people who aren't living like that and they somehow interrupt your structured life. <laughs> In other words, finding that true rest and, ha- and, and uh, being a person who has certain disciplines in their, in their life so that they can experience rest as much as possible, there's still a tendency for your schedule to be interrupted by this fallen world in some way, shape, or form. But all of the things that fill our, li- our, our life, um, they may not be wrong in and of themselves, but they can, build, they can build up and become toxic if they distract you from serious, deliberate communion with God. And this is one of the reasons why restlessness still exists. And, and this is a, a practical reminder that we need to regularly spend time with God, and you need to intentionally include God in your schedule if you are to experience some level of this, this uh, rest that God provides. But if you do not guard that time with God, you can easily get to the point where your soul is restless and disturbed by many things. And you're going to need more than just, to take it, just taking a vacation. When it comes to true rest, your soul needs the heavenly rest that only Christ and his spirit can provide, even though it would be temporary until we attain the final um, true rest. There's still a call to rest, though. Even though the, the true rest that we long for is a heavenly permanent rest, there's still a call for us to rest. And we see this in verses 6 through 7. Hebrews 4, 6 or 7 says, Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterwards in the words already quoted, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And so in these verses, we see that the writer is quoting Psalm 95, which was written as a warning for God's people to heed the call of God. He says, Today, He says, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Interestingly, this is not a call to unbelievers, even though it can apply to them. The psalmist, along with with, uh, the writer of Hebrews, is speaking to those who profess to be followers of God. And this is the call. That even though you are saved, do not harden your hearts when God, through his word, brings conviction to you for the sake of obedience. And to put it in modern terms, when you sit under the preached word, you need to receive it with an open heart and a willful mind. And the purpose of the word is to conform you and to do away with some of your blind spots and your sinful tendencies. The word of God, when it's preached, is confrontational with the intention of molding you into holiness. And notice what it says in Acts 2.37. If you want to turn there, Acts 2.37. says it says now when they heard when they heard this they were cut to the heart this is when peter delivered his uh, evangelistic sermon it says now when they heard this they were cut to the heart and said to and said to peter and the rest of the apostles brother what shall we do so this is a this is sort of an illustration of what the word of god does when it's preached right it cuts to the heart 
when the Spirit uses the word being preached, the Spirit takes it and it cuts and it penetrates the heart. It, it brings conviction to the person who's hearing. And, and immediately you see the response being, you know, brothers, what shall we do pertaining to their eternal state or their, their uh, soul's state? So I, I thought that was important just to, just to state that the word of God penetrates us for our own good. And if we desire to seek rest beyond just the physical, but a rest that's much more deeper, much more spiritual, we have to be willing to be confronted by the word of God. The word of God will, uh, especially if you're a Christian, the word of God will go into your heart and it would uh, chisel and remove some of the things that are causing restlessness, especially if you're a Christian. There are things that bring you down and weigh you down because you've been called to God. The, the Spirit of God has called you unto Him. When you, when you start to backslide or allow sin to enter into your life, these things cause restlessness in, in your soul. And so the Word of God penetrating as you hear it helps to bring ease to your soul. And, and we would be foolish to close our hearts against it, which is why uh, in Hebrews, this is the exhortation uh, that, that do not harden your hearts. And again, the way of true rest is through God's sanctifying work in our heart and in our minds. Rest comes to us believers only after we humble ourselves before God and submit to his word. Now, you'll notice that the writer of Hebrews explains in verse 6 that many of the Israelites in the past failed to enter God's true rest of salvation because they disobeyed the way of faith. In other words, they thought that they were right with God, but they were not truly converted. They did not allow their hearts to heed to the gospel, which is why it says they did not enter his rest. And so heeding to God's word is the first, in, the first step into entering God's rest. It's through the heeding of his word that a person is saved, and for the Christian, heeding his word is what sustains our faith and allows us to enjoy even a bit of that heavenly rest now until we attain it fully in heaven. And this leads me to my final point, uh, the custom of rest. We see this in verses 8 through 10. Let me read that passage. It's, it says this, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And so this is where we get into more of the practical application of, of, of this passage. You'll notice that verse 8 references Joshua. This highlights the fact that rest or Sabbath has been something that mankind has been trying to attain since the beginning of the world, all the way from Adam to Joshua. Beginning with Adam and Eve, we read in Genesis 3 how they lost their chance at rest when they disobeyed and ushered sin into the world. God hit reset by flooding the world and starting again with Noah as, as, as a kind of new Adam. And by the way, the name Noah in Hebrew is the word rest. And so Noah being sort of a second Adam was, was, no, uh, was God hitting reset and starting again with Noah. Again, he, he wiped the world out with the flood so that we can start again. And Noah was called to, to bring about rest. Um, 
And Noah, we, as you read on, we see that Noah sinned, right? And the cycle of corruption began again. So even after God wiped the world out with the flood, started again with Noah, Noah and his family brought in corruption of sin again back into the world. So there, there we go again. And then God calls Abraham and promises, and, and promises that through him, he would bring a nation where rest would finally come and Israel would be like a new Adam. Yet we see that through Israel's history, they couldn't attain a state of national rest either. And even when they entered the promised land of Canaan through Joshua, they fell into idolatry and couldn't hold on to that state of true rest uh, too long after. And this is why verse 8, going back to our main text, this is why verse 8 says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. And again, this is referring to a better future rest that would be attainable through Jesus Christ. And this is what, and this is what we in our world are facing today, a state of restlessness, and it's just getting worse and worse. We're all collectively trying to find rest for our souls, but we can't attain it. And this, is, this is true to, uh, for unbelievers as well. They're trying to find pockets of rest throughout their life, and they're filling it with things that they think will bring about true rest, not only in a physical sense, but in a, in a deep way in, in, within their heart, within their soul. And yet they can't attain it. In 2020, we attempted to seek rest in the next presidential election. I think that's the case every presidential election. We, we sought rest in a better economy. For others, rest was, was more of a private thing. We sought rest in job security, rest in our presence on social media. But scripture gives us an understanding of resting that goes beyond these things. If we were to attain some level of rest that, that, that's different from the centuries of the past, let's say our nation gets, get, comes into a better state, not long after that, sin will bring corruption um, and, and bring the nation down at, at some point. This is a, a perpetual cycle, I think. And, and we, we see it throughout history, but you don't even have to look at a history book. You can look at scripture and see um, the history of, of Israel, and this was true for them as well. Again, scripture gives us an understanding of resting that goes beyond these temporal things. Rest is spiritual. So when you think about rest, when you say, I need more rest, yes, do what you have to do to rest physically. That is an important spiritual discipline. Uh, if, if you want to be a good steward of your body, a good steward of your time, a good steward of your mind, of your habits, if you want to be a better person in that sense, rest is, is, is important, physical rest. You need to be able to sleep on time, wake up on time. These things affect you spiritually as well. But don't only think in those physical categories. You have, to, you have to remember that rest is also spiritual. So when you feel restlessness and you were able to still get sleep and you still feel restless, remember that your soul needs rest as well. Your soul needs to be with the people of God. Your soul needs the word of God. Your soul needs to worship. Your soul needs to do what it was called to do. And if you don't do these things, if you neglect the regular um, meeting with the saints, if you neglect the word of God, if you, if you neglect prayer, and if you neglect uh, 
consistent time with the Lord every day, you're going to feel the weight of restlessness. A person who is not right with God will not feel the deep and true rest that their soul needs. And likewise, the Christian who does not seek regular communion with with the Lord will lose his sense of rest. Have you ever noticed that the Bible often affiliates restlessness with condemnation? Isaiah 48, 22 says, There is no peace, said the Lord, for the wicked. So peace, when you think about peace and rest, that, that is not the destiny of the wicked. The wicked will experience hell, and hell is perpetual restlessness. Their soul is disturbed forever. And, they, and, and the wicked experience some of that even now. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Isaiah 57.20 says, But the wicked are like the tossing sea, which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. Again, these are character traits of those who are not in Christ, those who do not have communion with God. Revelation 14.11, this is speaking about the end here. And the smoke of the torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Again, the key part of that passage in Revelation is, and they have no rest, day and night. So being restless is affiliated with a theme of condemnation. The true believer finds perpetual rest in the grace of Christ. And notice how in the following verses, I'm going to read a few verses. Notice in these verses that I'm about to read how rest is associated with being in the presence of the Lord. Okay, Exodus 33, 14. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. So being in the presence of the Lord, that's where you receive rest for your soul. Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. So there's, there's a part where we, we play in, in this uh, pursuit of rest. There is a, a need for us to trust God. And again, just reading Isaiah 26 says, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Those who persevere in the presence of God, trusting in God, those people will keep in perfect peace. We're called to seek rest in the presence of God, and even though we won't attain it perfectly, our lives, daily, needs to be seeking to commune with the Lord. We need to develop patterns and habits in our lives that include God in our daily schedule. Rest for your soul will depend on how much you're seeking the face of God in your daily private living through prayer and meditation upon his word. You know, people, especially us Protestants, we hate, I say we hate, not all of us hate it, but a lot of us hate the idea of set things in our schedule. We feel like it's too religious. You know, that's what the Catholics do or the Anglicans do. You know, they have set uh, times of prayer and things like that. And you say, oh, we, we, we are free in Christ. We don't want these things. You know, we don't need all those things to bombard our schedule. That's, that's bad thinking. We need to be responsible as we would with anything else. 
You know, when it comes to exercise, you have to set a time for it. When it comes to uh, the chores and the things that we have to do at home and with our families, we have set times for it. We write things down. But I don't, I don't know why when it comes to our relationship with God, we feel like it's, it's, it's just too much for us to be writing things down or setting certain times throughout the day for us to pray. We have to get that out of our mind. When you do that, it doesn't mean that, you're, that things are superficial. It means that you're being intentional when you schedule these things. And again, rest for your souls will depend on how much you're seeking the face of God in your daily private living through prayer, meditating upon his word, and it requires you to, to, to uh, schedule those things. Ask yourself, do you go hour after hour, day by day, without acknowledging God personally through prayer? Are your days just flying by? You're just experiencing your day. You're going through the motions. Once in a while, God pops up in your mind. Maybe if you see something on, on, uh, on your phone, that reminds you of God. But is that how you're living your life? Are you going through the motions of daily life without pausing and seeking spiritual nourishment for yourself? Are you too busy? Are you doing many things in your life but not considering the God who is there? Are you caught up in the hype of the culture that wants you to be hasty, wants you to be fast, thoughtless, and reactionary? A culture of multitasking, a culture that causes you to have a, a divided attention. The wisdom of God causes us to pause, to halt, to cease, to Sabbath from a lifestyle of ongoing pursuits and ongoing business and endless activities. Your ability to cease, at least routinely, is an act of faith that shows your dependency upon God. Because even though you need work, it isn't ultimately your work that provides for you. And even though you need pursuits, it isn't ultimately your pursuits that sustain you. It is God that provides and sustains you. If you're not going back to him, you can forget about everything else. You must go back to him. You'll notice that God, by design, humbles every busy man. He, he humbles every busy person at night. You know what he does? He shuts your body down. <laughs> at nighttime, no matter how in control you feel with your career, or, or your to-do list, you feel like, I, I gotta knock this out, I am, uh, I'm driven, I need to be motivated. I'll sleep when I rest, I used to say this, okay? I'll sleep when I rest, I'll sleep when I die, right? Uh, God instilled in you this thing that humbles you at night and reminds you who's God. He shuts your body down. This is God's forced Sabbath on us. Even when man wants to work obsessively and, for, and, and, and force the outcome of his own success, God reminds, of, God reminds him of his weakness every night. He reminds man through their need for sleep that they are not God, but they're just a man. And sleep is God's way of humbling us and reminding us that we are sustained by him and we're sustained by him alone. He's sovereign over all things and we need to find our rest in him. Going back to our main text, notice what it says in Hebrews 9 through 10. It says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So in these final verses, we see that the writer is telling us that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Uh, the phrase Sabbath rest 
is actually a different word than what is used before when the word rest was used. The phrase here in this, in this line, Sabbath rest, used here is the word sabbatismos, which actually means Sabbath practice or the practice of Sabbath or the observance of a Sabbath. In other words, the writer is saying that for believers, we're called to practice Sabbath routinely. Not like the Jews did under the ceremonial law, but as a spiritual discipline, as a, uh, as a call to cease. And we, like the early church, need to pause routinely and set aside worldly affairs and worship the Lord, not only privately, but corporately with the people of God as part of our rest. Now that's the point. A lot of times we think Sabbath, rest, okay. If, you, if your theology of Sabbath is merely physical rest, then you miss the whole theology of Sabbath according to scripture. The rest, true rest only comes when you're in the presence of God. And this is, this is one of the reasons why Israel on the Sabbath day would worship the Lord. It was their day of worship. Same, same with the New Testament Christians. That the, the, the setting aside a day to come to rest is synonymous with setting aside a day to come to worship and be in the presence of God. Because the rest that we're called to experience isn't only physical, but it's also spiritual. Rest for our souls. So again, this is not a call to a, a kind of Sabbath that resembles the Jews when they were under a ceremonial, the, the ceremonial law, but more as a spiritual discipline, a call for the Christian to come and to worship the Lord, to set aside worldly affairs and to worship the Lord, not only privately, but corporately with the people of God. As verse 10 says, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Now, this is the practical aspect of seeking true rest, to set apart a time of ceasing from your own works and resting in Christ in worship. Again, rest is not only based on how well you prioritize sleep, even though that is very important, but rest is primarily based on how you're doing spiritually. I think about moms, um, you know, there are times, if you're a mother, there are times where you want to, or a father, right? Uh, if you want to hire a babysitter and have them watch the kids so that you can take some time alone to sleep and to lounge. And those are great things. But there'll be times when you do that and you, you won't feel that that's enough. And I've, I've experienced that. I've, I've said, I'm going to take a break and I, I just lay around and not do anything. But there's still some restlessness within me. Uh, even after a full night's rest, your soul may still experience restlessness. Why is this the case? And the reason is because your soul needs rest as much as your body does. And when you're not regularly communing with Jesus in worship, you don't experience this true rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest, not only for your bodies, but Jesus says here, you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Those are Jesus' words. And notice that he says you'll find rest for your souls. He knows what, deep, what we deeply need, which is soul rest. And he offers himself for that. Uh, we are called 
to, to experience that. And church on the Lord's day was often called the marketplace of the soul. It's where the soul gets its spiritual nutrients. It's where the soul gets its rest. And I know a lot, for a lot of us, Sundays don't always feel restful. It feels busy. But in reality, the gathered church is where we find Christ with his people, in his word, and in his ordinances. And this, this is supposed to be the place where we receive our soul rest. And even when we don't feel it, we have to trust in faith that we will receive what we need for our souls when we gather for corporate worship. Sometimes we don't notice the restful effects that worshiping in church does to our souls until those days come where we're not able to go to church. And you start to see the difference there. But thank God that we have the privilege to still worship and get what our soul needs in this, in this context in which we live in. In conclusion, we see that God places rest as a high priority because true rest is found in communion with him. And when we make plans for resting, may we never forget to include communing with God as rest for our souls. We need to prioritize that. Let's not seek rest apart from that. It will only end up bringing more unrest to your souls. And as important as sleep and vacation is for our bodies, we should never forget that our souls are where real rest is needed. And we will only gain rest as we behold and meditate on his truth and his goodness through his word in public and also in private worship. Our devotion to God is the most important factor for true rest. I want to read, I'll finish off with this. I want to read a quote from uh, St. Augustine. He famously said this in his book, uh, Confessions. He said, you made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. I think it's a good summary of where we must go to to find true rest when our souls are weary and restless. And so may, may the Holy Spirit lead us in that way. Amen. Uh, I can take maybe one or two questions if there's anything that stood out. If not, we can close out. But I want to open up the floor if anyone has any questions or comments about this topic. Yeah, Ben. Uh, I, I, thought, I thought verse 8 seemed interesting. Yeah. Uh, for as Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Mm-hmm. So if if they were already resting, would we now maybe see the that as an old Jewish tradition of resting and maybe we might have lost it? Okay. And I'm yeah. kind of wondering yeah. what things may they have already done that God didn't necessarily need to command them to do that something because of that? Yeah. I, that's a good question. Let me see if I understand. So, specifically verse 8, the, the writer of Hebrews is trying to communicate that there is a, there's still a rest that needs to be attained. And he's also highlighting the fact that this topic of rest has been spoken of in the past, even before Christ. And he's emphasizing the fact that the telos, the end goal is the state of rest and Joshua Joshua being the one commanded to lead the people into the so-called promised land and again promised land speaking of uh, of a temporal promised land uh, even that didn't allow them to achieve that rest um, so what does that mean for Christians now well we look back and we say he couldn't 
they didn't reach rest seeking it in some sort of external temporal way, like a national rest, where they can enter a beautiful promised land and there they're going to feel the rest that God had intended since the beginning. He's, he's basically just highlighting that Joshua couldn't attain it, but neither could any of the prophets. Um, and that's, that's the point of the passage. So what does that say about, is there, is there, a, is there still a pending rest for the people of God today? Yeah, that's the point. There's still a, it's twofold. There's still a need for the practice of, of uh, say this, there's still a need to observe a Sabbath rest uh, in a religious sense as it points to a final rest that, still, that we're still waiting for, um, which is why he goes on to say, um, therefore, there still remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So even the people of God have not entered into that rest in an ultimate sense. And therefore, this is why we still set aside a day as a symbol of, uh, not only a symbol, but um, a, a kind of a celebration or something that we observe as it points to that one future day of rest that, that we long for, which is heaven, right? The new heavens and the new earth. I don't know if I rambled and got off somewhere, but, but yeah, specifically verse 8 is, is speaking about those in the past never were able to attain it. We haven't quite gotten there yet, but we have entered into Christ who will promise us to lead us into that final state of rest. And it's only in him that we arrive at that final state of rest. Okay. Yeah. Hopefully I answered your question. But that, that's sort of what that's talking about. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think it's saying that Joshua could have given them rest. Right. It's not saying that. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And that, actually, that's a good point. He's almost saying that it, it wasn't going to come through him. You know? Yeah. It's going to come through the Messiah. It wasn't a practice that they developed. It was the, the act of Joshua bringing them into the promised land. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, he couldn't, he couldn't quite get us there. And what's kind of interesting about that is in Judges, um, every time after the, uh, I don't specifically know every time, but I know a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, so I assume it's every time. Yeah. Um, but after the judges um, free the people, it says the land had rest. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And that, that was the ongoing theme of, of their uh, experience, that they would, they would have a, a, a judge that would rule well. He would lead the people well. He was sort of like a, a, a kind of a Christ, a, a, obviously not Christ, but a, a version of that, a, a type of Christ. That would lead the people to rest. And they looked at him sort of like a president or a, a leader of a nation. It brought rest to the land. But then quickly after that generation died, they went and started doing their own thing. And that's sort of the theme of redemptive history. That every time we seek for rest in all these other ways, even when it comes to leaders of our country or leaders in any level, um, we never arrive at true rest. We get it for a little bit. We feel it. But then something happens and we're back down to the same problem that... We become corrupt. We, we go back to idolatry. We do our own thing. And then Jesus comes, lives perfectly, and he, sa- and he, he becomes king of, of the world in the sense that he's exalted and seated at the right hand. And now, Scripture says he's ruling right now. He's ruling over uh, the world, and he's, um, he's bringing the world to that final uh, state of rest. Obviously, those who don't follow him or not in him, they get tossed to the furnace. Um, 
but God, Jesus Christ is that, is the one who will bring ultimate rest. He's, he's the one who, who was able to do it. Anyway, got one minute left. Anybody else? I'll say yeah, I, I just do. can't identify with what you were saying about like, well, sometimes you can do nothing. Yeah. You not accomplish anything. Yeah. And, and still feel restless and how like yeah. having communion with God really puts our soul at rest, that spiritual rest. Yeah. And sometimes you could even be really, you know, having a lot of work to do. And, yeah. And if you're communion with God, get through it and you yeah. feel more rested. That's so true. Yeah, that's a great uh, great point that you highlight. Uh, it, it really doesn't depend so much on on the thing, on the external as much as it is the internal or, or God bringing that true rest. You could be working all day and feel rest um, when you're communing with God. So it's life-giving. Yeah. Like at night, sometimes like at 3 or 4 in the morning, like I can't sleep. And then like my mind Well, we're out of time. Let me go ahead and close this out in prayer. Our Father, we thank you, Lord, that you reveal to us in your word rest being a theme throughout history and rest being where you are bringing us to. And we can experience that now uh, in a limited sense, of course, uh, due to the fall. But you have given us yourself. Your, Your word says that Jesus is calling us to lay our burdens on him. Um, if when we have weary souls that we can come to Christ, he is our rest. He brings true rest to our souls. And we thank you that he was uh, willing to lay his life down so that we can experience that rest to some degree now and, and in anticipation for the future, that one day we will experience rest in a real permanent way. And only the people of God will experience that. I pray that you allow that to, to sink in and to help us to be motivated to call others to join in and enter into this rest as well and help us to call ourselves lord that when we're weary and our our hearts are disturbed that we can go back to you and seek communion with you so that our hearts would be settled and still and that we would trust in you more uh, to experience that peace and that rest that you offer us lord so we thank you we ask that you your spirit would do these things in our hearts lord we ask it in jesus name amen